This is IA Forward, your playbook for success as an independent insurance agent. Here to help you knock it out of the ballpark are your hosts, Shane Tatum and Tanya Lead. Welcome to IA Forward. And Shane, I have two words for you. Let me hear it. Happy birthday! Woo! Dave, cue the music here, because you know I'm not going to sing, <laughs> but I can do the interpretive birthday dance. Let's not. Let's just move on, because this is the big one. From here on out, I'm just headed towards death. I think it was one of my kids, and I don't remember which one. Basically, when you made it to 100, you died. That was just in her brain. It was just something as a little kid. And so 50... This is the big 5-0 for me. That means I'm halfway dead in my oldest child's memory in her brain and the way her brain worked as a, as a young child. And so it's an interesting thing because my grandpa told me a story when he was in his late 60s and he called me T. He said, you know, T, I'm 67 or 68, whatever it was, but In my mind, I'm still 16. And I think that resonates with me today. Sometimes I have this thought like, you know, I'm really an adult. I'm not a teenager. And in my brain, not my body, my brain, I still feel like I'm extremely young. Now, when I start trying to move really fast or wake up in the morning, then I'm very quickly reminded that I'm 50. I think it's an interesting thing. Age and aging has never bothered me. And I just think it's one of those things in life where you're like, is it really possible that I'm 50 years old? That's for old people. That's not for me. Surely that is not the real life case for me. But hey, here we are. That's when you start getting the discounts, though. So there is that Mm. side of it. Yeah, that will be the extremely depressing part is when I get that AARP card, right? I think they start sending those things out at 50, right? They do. Yeah, they do. Welcome to the AARP. Wow. That depresses me. That's what I'm like, welcome to this delightfully morbid discussion of Shane is halfway to death. Halfway to death. Here I am. So let's look back on the 50 years just for fun. What do you think are some of the most life-changing moments for you that brought you to where you are now? Wasn't expecting that one, Tanya. The first two, meeting my wife, getting married, and then having kids. Those are huge life-changing moments overarching events that have to be there when then the ability to have space multiple times within my young career to make mistakes i owe that one to my dad i've talked about that on the podcast before there was one particular situation where there was a different business. My, my dad owned a couple of businesses and we were in this mode uh, within this particular business. It was a wholesale growing operation for shrubbery, for plants. And we were trying to figure out how to improve the shipping capability of these plants. And that's not easy. Plants are delicate and plants need water and all these things. And I thought I had this really fantastic idea to buy up these plants, have these plants in this very specialized created box. And I got with the boxing company and I got with the engineer at the boxing company and we drew up these really cool plans. And I thought that I told the salesperson to send me a sample. I missed the fine print that there was a minimum order of a thousand boxes. As a young 20-something, I was given this task of trying to figure this out and ordered somewhere in the neighborhood of about $6,000 worth of boxes that we didn't know whether it was going to work or not. And it didn't work. 
and I managed to not be disowned and managed to keep my job through that mistake. When all these boxes showed up out at the nursery, we never used the boxes. I don't. I think we used them for storage. I don't know what it was, but it failed. It didn't work. It was a great idea on paper, and it taught me there's a lot of things that work on paper that may not work in all practicality, and sometimes you just have to try it to see if it works. Understanding that if it doesn't work, you just got to go back to the drawing board and start over. And the ability to take that leap and take that chance and fail made a memorable impression on me. And it's something that we maybe don't do enough with our kids that we should do is allow them to fail, allow them to take that leap and learn from it. That's a vivid one for me. One of the questions that I had actually written down for you was how many times do you feel that you failed and started over? And it's interesting that that's the story that you started out with because that could be perceived as a failure. Sometimes you win and sometimes you learn, but How many times do you think that you failed and started over? Almost too many to count, but at least a couple of dozen. With our agency network, there were at least a half a dozen iterations between 1998 and 2010 within our agency network to find our way. So just in that primary business alone, which has stood the test of time, you know, as of today, as of this recording. We're celebrating our 40th year as an organization this year. And the fact that I can say that that I failed a half a dozen times just in that piece alone, not to mention all the marketing failures, all the sales producer failures, all the various different things, boss failures. I mean, really messing up as a leader. To say a couple of dozen, to say 24 times, fail and start over, that's a fair assessment. It's probably more. The reason I wanted you to share that is to give our listeners hope. Shane is extraordinarily successful and has built an incredible business. He's built an incredible team. And to know that there have been failures, there were things that didn't work, there were disasters. And I think so many of us as entrepreneurs, as business owners, well, the first thing didn't work, the second thing didn't work, the third thing didn't work, okay, well, I'm not good at this, or I shouldn't be a business owner, or I should get into a different business. And I think people are so quick to give up because they see the success of people around them. And maybe you sharing some of those failures will help some of our listeners. I love to use this Starbucks analogy. And one of the things that hit me was the Starbucks timeline. The reason I like to use Starbucks is I don't know that I know anyone that doesn't know who Starbucks is. We assume that Starbucks has always been what they are today. We see that with many businesses, Walmart, even Amazon. We just assume they've always been what they are because that's all that we have ever known of them. I like the Starbucks example because they're so gigantic today and they're such a well-recognized brand. But I relate to this because in 1987, Starbucks had 17 stores. Now, that is not too far removed from the beginnings of our Integra organization. We started, founded in 83 by my dad. In 87, Starbucks has 
17 stores. Now, Starbucks opened their first store in 1971, and it takes them 16 years to open up 17 locations. Just think about that for a minute, and and you think about the current Starbucks scenario. It was basically a few years later, they have 1,400 stores. So we talk about in the book good to great pushing on the flywheel and then eventually you have breakthrough and then the flywheel starts turning on its own today i think starbucks has something like thirty-five thousand stores worldwide and it's amazing to think about that 35 ish years ago starbucks had 17 stores and it's just not that long ago for a guy that's turning 50 to really understand that these businesses that have this incredible success, they didn't start yesterday. They didn't achieve this incredible success last week. They have been doing this for multiple decades. And I have this extreme appreciation for organizations that are able to stay in the game, stand the test of time, and just continue to grow and continue to operate. That's such a critical understanding of the hope part and the failure part because i can promise you while it's not on their marketing pr timeline creation but the failures that took place between 1971 and probably about 1991 are probably incredibly immense if they were to talk with the howard schultz of the world and you were to talk about some of those early employees you know how many times did it take them to brew the cup of coffee to get their unique taste right what happened how did how did they get to that point can you imagine that first 20 years how many failures they had as a business owner if you're failing well then you're probably learning and you can't really make it to the next level without a little bit of failure let's talk about the failure that was the beginning of our retail agency most of our listeners are entrepreneurs they're producers that are starting they're producers that are thinking of starting an agency they are they're owners of small agencies mid-sized agencies so let's talk about the file box and the negative equity that was our retail agency. We have extremely humble beginnings. And if you need some humility, all you have to do is look at our beginnings. My dad was an incredible businessman and I learned anything and everything from him. And so there's obviously this picture in the in his past of failure as well and things he learned from. Of course, I didn't see that or know that. I didn't understand that until I matured and got older and experienced some of my own failure. Insurance wasn't his primary business. He was a banker. And that's one of the things I learned just right off the bat. Being an independent agency owner is an owner-operator type of business. It's just not a good investor business. And I know that because my dad tried it that way. I watched marginal success happen, which in in a lot of people's minds, that is failure. But he bought this book of business, this agency in this small town that we are here still today, Huntington, Texas. And It basically was a file box, and it was a book of business that fit in the seat of his pickup. And he could 
run the agency like that. The files, there was no computer system. Uh, he and a cousin, his first cousin that he grew up with, uh, one of his best friends, thought it was a good idea to buy this book of business and have this other business over here that was something they could invest and grow, etc. Well, they overpaid for it, number one, because they didn't know what they were buying. So they're upside down from day one. A few years later, the cousin decides to go back and get his master's and and wants out and he has to pay my dad to get out of the business. It's not that my dad has to buy him out. It has negative equity. They're so upside down that the cousin has to pay dad to leave. That's a miserable place to be. But now my dad owns 100% instead of 50% of a business that's failing. So I'm not really sure how great of a position he was in at the time either. Through a few hires, one being Sandra Denman, the lady that taught me a lot of my insurance technical skills and knowledge, that was an incredible hire because Sandra helped move things down the road and get to marginal success. But that took probably 10 years in and of itself just to dig out of that negative equity hole. And so that was this understanding of this is not a business that you can just invest in and sit over to the side and go, let's just watch it grow, right? It's not a passive type of business. It's a business that you have to roll up your sleeves and you have to go to work. Just understanding where we came from, from that standpoint, it taught me a lot about how to roll up your sleeves and how to go to work when things aren't rolling the way you want them to roll. What kind of sense of humor did your dad have? Ironically, a little quirky. He found humor in things that were maybe not normal things that you would find humor in. He grew up with a lot of cousins and a lot of and brothers. And, and so it was like when you kind of tripped and fell, it was funny. That was the way we kind of got through stuff. Uh, when I busted out the back window of my pickup as a young late teen because I did something stupid with a wheelbarrow that was funny wait a minute whoa, whoa, whoa. don't think you're gonna get to skim over that yeah like uh-uh no nope. well, back it up <laughs> look don't put a wheelbarrow in the back of your truck without turning it over let's put it that way don't just throw it up in there because you're running down the street because you're gonna stop and when you go to stop the wheelbarrow is gonna move and when it moves at a certain level it's gonna hit your back window and your back window is gonna shatter my dad's humor was to say things like that kind of sucks doesn't it it was funny and he was dry about it but it was a way to laugh at yourself he taught me how to laugh at myself. Might have had a little bit of arrogance as a young athlete. He taught me how to laugh at myself and have joy in that. And so his sense of humor was to point out some of those things. And it wasn't in a bad way. It was always in a great way. I think I would call him kind of a dry, always looking for the opportunity to find humor in something funny and in somewhat of a disastrous moment. Looking back over the last 50 years, what do you think are your two greatest successes in business? Choosing the insurance industry first and foremost because I spent most of my college days thinking I was going to be an investment banker. I'm so glad I didn't do that. It wasn't going to be the right culture for me. I was not going to be a Wolf of Wall Street type personality. I was kind of in a multifaceted 
choice kind of role in investments, insurance. It was going to be one of those three, and I chose wisely in that I chose insurance. The second thing was creating a leadership team. And for years and years, it was a couple of us. It was me and Holly and Tara and Sandra and Julie was always around, but we weren't really doing it in a leadership team kind of environment. It was basically just hully gully. We weren't really formalized or structured. In 2017, out of pure necessity and force that I had to get better, that I had to do better, there's no doubt that putting a leadership team together allowed me to work more on our business versus work in our business. And I think that that was the thing that took us to another level. We had always been successful, probably starting around 2003, but being able to actually see and understand that we can potentially be a long, infinite game, multi-generational type business, that didn't really start coming into fruition until 2017. 18, 19. The last four or five years has seen so many things, COVID and now the hard market and pretty soft market prior to that. And so just a lot of different areas of, wow, I can't believe we made it through that type stuff. I can attribute to really just having that team of people around me. To our listeners that are solopreneurs and have very small agencies, that the idea of a leadership team seems pretty far off. How would you tell our listeners to apply the same lessons that you've learned with a leadership team with a single or a small group? First, understand that I spent 22 years where you're at and there wasn't a leadership team. There was just people rolling up their sleeves and going to work. And I was fortunate that there was an agency. There was a small $2 million in premium agency that I came into. So I wasn't there in 1983 but I was there in 1995. And we spent a lot of time working those hours that we try to encourage you to watch out for. Sometimes you got to do it. Sometimes you got to work the Saturday. Sometimes you got to work the extra hours. And I spent a lot of time doing that. I spent 22 years without a leadership team, so to speak. And while there were people with responsibilities, they weren't necessarily in what I would call a formalized, you're in charge of X, you're in charge of Y type stuff. And you look back and it's kind of like the Starbucks, like, oh, wow, we've always been where we are. And that's not true. We weren't there. Sometimes I see agents doing things and I think that they feel like they should be doing something. And one of the strategies that I've noticed that you have is don't just do something. Sometimes it's okay to just stand there, which is very much the antithesis of don't just stand there and do something, right? It is. And this is one of those things that wasn't always the case. I spent a lot of time in the beginning doing something and I did a lot of different things. And it became well known around here that when I went off on vacation or when I went to a conference that when I came back, basically when I walked in the office, you know, there were three or four people that basically went and grabbed their legal pad and their pen and were like, okay, Shane's about to call a meeting and we're going to start taking notes. Unfortunately for them, they were right. That's what happened. I would go away. I would clear my head. I would gather my thoughts and I would come back and I would do something and we would take off on a direction, sometimes the wrong direction. 
direction. Today, it's a lot easier for me to take a deep breath and go, okay, sometimes procrastination is okay because you're not ready. And sometimes you need to go a little bit slower. And sometimes you need to allow your leadership team to catch their breath and do things a little more thoughtful around employee change and making people change what they do. And there just needs to be thought put into that. The more people you have, the harder it is to get all those people moving in the same direction. It was easy when there were four or five of us, but it was also hard in that I was constantly doing something in areas where I probably needed to sit still. So that was a learned behavior the hard way that I had to move to as an individual. I have a selfish reason for always looking forward to your birthday. And that is when your birthday arrives, it is the beginning of college football season. Which actually, we had a discussion at our house on this just in the last week of when is the first game? When is the first weekend? Because it is a big deal in our house, even in our empty nest, because my wife is a huge college football fan and I am a huge college football fan of all kinds of stuff. I know you have your Tigers and I know that and we have our Aggies, but really for me, I don't really care. It's college football. If college football's on, our TV's on, we're watching it. It doesn't really matter who it is. It doesn't it can be Division 2 for all I care. And it's college football, we're watching it. Absolutely, 100%. And here at Pensacola, we have the Argonauts of the University of West Florida who were uh, Division 2 national champs the second year they had a team, which is extraordinary. And we love to follow them and I have I have numerous teams across the country that I cheer for. I guess my Texas team would be TCU love my horned frogs. I didn't get to go to TCU because my parents gave a very limited scope of how far I was allowed to travel to go to school at my age when I started college. But I've always been a big TCU fan. But yeah, so not only are we celebrating the half century mark of the amazing Shane Tatum, we are celebrating the beginning of college football. You know, what's interesting about today's 50, and this is this is what I'm going to cling to, is have you seen any of the memes or the pictures of, I think it was maybe Jennifer Lopez or, or some other celebrity at 50 or 52 or 54 compared to the 50-something-year-old uh, 40 or 50 years ago? Times have changed. Styles have changed. Obviously, a little bit of modesty has changed. I'm going to cling to the idea that 50 looks different today than it did 40 years ago. And I think you can kind of look around and go with that. I know that I look older and I know that I move a little slower. But I do like the fact that we've made significant progress in society about what 50 is really supposed to mean. My entire life, 50 was really, really old. And now it's just not that old. For me, that is best seen with the Golden Girls. I'm a huge Golden Girls fan. And when you kind of dig in the fact that they were 50 when they retired and moved to Florida, I'm just like, no, that is not our life right there. That's part of the meme culture that I think I've seen in some of the pictures, what the average age of the Golden Girls were and just, you know, their style and kind of the way they dressed and thinking about what a 50-year-old is today. And it gives me a lot of hope that maybe I can be a young 65 in a few years. And so I don't have a problem growing old, but I love the fact that my energy 
and what I see from my fellow peers in their 50s is that we seem to have a ton of energy and we seem to have a lot of interest in continuing to grow businesses or lead or make our mark, so to speak, and help others and mentor others. And I just think it's an exciting time from a business standpoint, especially where I sit with so many Gen Zs and young millennials entering the independent agency space. I get really excited about that because I don't know if there's such a thing as perfect timing, but I feel like I have perfect timing to sit and watch and be a part of of what's going to happen over the next decade. Happy birthday, Shane. Wishing you a another half century of success and serenity and have a good one. I'm going to leave us today with this quote from Jackie Joyner-Kersey. Age is no barrier. It's only a limitation you put on your mind. Attitude to choice. Make a great one. Bye, y'all. Ready to get the ball rolling with your independent agency? Learn more at IntegraAgent.com. That's IntegraAgent.com. Thank you for joining us on IA Forward. Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now or learn more at IAForward.com.